So what is it, what is it that you're afraid of? What do you fear? All of us have fears. Fear is a, is a, is a basic human emotion. And I know there's something that you're afraid of. This past week, I asked some of my friends to respond to that question. What are you afraid of? And they responded to me anonymously, and I'd like to, I'd like to share those responses with you in response to the question, what are you afraid of? Children's health, physically and spiritually. I'm afraid of failure, death, sickness, physical suffering, parenting teens in today's world, not hearing well done from Jesus. I fear acknowledging my sin before others. Finances. I fear the unknown. I fear change. A lost or missing child or grandchild. I fear we won't have enough money to keep our house once we retire. I fear that I'll get in an accident every time I drive on the highway. Who will care for my special needs daughter when I pass away? Scared the Lord will not come through despite the lack of evidence. Scared that I'm a fraud. Not being a good husband or father. Being insignificant. Fear of not pleasing God in the opportunities he has blessed me with. Losing my retirement fund. Electromagnetic pulse. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but if I knew, I'd probably be afraid of it too. (laughs) Aging parents and being caught in the sandwich generation. Disappointing or letting others down. Fear of what others think of me. Who will take care of me? I fear that I will never get married. That my kids will not follow Jesus as they grow up. Cockroaches. (laughs) Losing those I love. Drowning. Do you resonate with this list of fears? We all have fears. Every one of us has something, some thought that keeps us awake at night, that makes our heart beat that much faster, that causes us anxiety or great concern. Every one of us have a fear or fears. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take out a piece of paper It can be the sermon notes. It can be the bulletin that you received when you walked in. It can be any piece of paper. And I'd like you to take that piece of paper and I'd like you to write on it your fear or your fears. Now, you can write it in code. You can write it in code so that the person next to you won't recognize what your fear is. But I'd like you to take the time and and write out a fear or fears that you have, recognizing that each one of us here this morning has at least one fear. 
Fears are common, and, and although our fears may not all be the same, they are common in a sense that we all kind of have similar fears. Financial difficulties, illness, sickness, death, loss, judgment, fear of failure. We all have fears that are, 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 are common to each one of us. Now, some fears, when you think about fears, some fears are good. Some fears aren't so bad because they motivate us towards change. Changing something about our personality, changing something about our habits, changing something, causing us to change something in our lives for the good. So some fears are okay. But what happens when your fears become overwhelming? What happens when your fear or your fears seem to be winning the day? What happens when you pray and ask God to show up or to take away your fear and it doesn't doesn't seem like he even hears you? What happens when your fear grows? What is it that you do? Like most people, if you're like most people, you, you start to lose hope and you become more and more and more fearful. And then that fear can often turn into frustration or anger or even despair. And you seem like there's no solution or rescue or remedy for the fear that you're facing. Most of us have or are or will experience fear that seems overwhelming. That's why God has us in Joshua 21 today. So take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21. It's page 187 in the Bible that the church provides. I'd encourage you to follow along with me. Joshua chapter 21, although it was written thousands of years ago, provides for us today a remedy to the fear or to the fears that we face in our lives today. Now recognize that we're in Joshua chapter 21. We're coming near to the end of the book of Joshua, and there's been so much that has happened in the book of Joshua. The people of Israel have entered this promised land that God had promised to them. They conquered the land. The land had been allotted to the tribes of Israel. Cities of refuge have been established. Last week we learned that the Levites, this priestly tribe, received cities in which they were able to live. And now here at the end of the book of Joshua, at the end of Joshua chapter 21, the writer of the book of Joshua looks back on all that has been accomplished and he gives a testimony of what God has done. So look at verse 43 of Joshua 21 and follow along with me as I read. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. 
This last portion of Joshua 21 is an amazing statement given all that Israel has been up against. They were people who were prone to fear and prone to disobedience, but nothing stood in the way of God's promises to Israel. Nothing stood in the way of God's promises to Joshua. Neither physical enemies nor spiritual failures could prevent God from showing his love and keeping his promises. The text says, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one, every one was fulfilled. So to understand this, to to grasp this concept better, let's look back to Joshua chapter 1. Turn back to Joshua chapter 1 and let's look at the promises that God made to Joshua and to the Israelites. It's page 169, Joshua chapter 1. These are the promises that God made to Joshua and to the Israelites. Verse 2, God said to Joshua and the Israelites, You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. Verse 3, I will give you every place that you set your foot as I promised to Moses. Verse 5, a promise to Joshua. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Verse 6, to Joshua. You will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And finally, part of our benediction, again a promise to Joshua and the people of Israel. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now think for a moment Think for a moment how improbable it was for Israel to enter and to conquer Canaan. Think back of all that has transpired since the time that God made a covenant with Abraham to this time where we are right now at the end of Joshua 21. Remember back, God makes a covenant. He makes a promise to Abraham that out of Abraham is going to rise a great nation. So Abraham believes the promise that God has made to him and begins to live his life for God. But years and years pass, decades pass, and there's no child. It comes to the point where he and his wife Sarah begin to laugh about the probability that someday they're going to have a child. But God delivers, and they have Isaac. And Isaac has a son, and Isaac's son is named Jacob. Eventually, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Jacob has 12 sons, and one of those sons is a very special son, and his name is Joseph. But his brothers don't like him very much, so his brothers sell him into slavery. Joseph's very own brothers sell him into slavery. Joseph ends up down in Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, he begins working in the house of Potiphar, and he, and he rises up in the house of Potiphar into a position of leadership. But then he experiences somebody makes a false claim, a ac- false accusation against Joseph. And so he's put into prison unfairly and unjustly and spends years in prison. Eventually, Joseph is let out of prison and he goes to work again and rises up through the ranks and rises to a leadership position within Egypt. And then there comes a famine to the land of his brothers and his father. So his brothers and his fathers come down to Egypt where there's plenty of supply, plenty of food, plenty of storehouse because of Joseph. And so the brothers and the father come down and and they live in Egypt. And the people of Israel within Egypt grow. 
And they grow to a point where the Egyptians enslave them so they don't take over the country, so they don't take over Egypt. And they, they become enslaved and they, for hundreds and hundreds. For 400 years, the people of Israel are in slavery. But God raises up a leader. He raises up Moses to lead the people of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery, and to a land that he has promised them. And Moses does that. He leads the people of Israel out of slavery, and they travel across the desert, and they come to the edge of the promised land. And when they're at the edge of the promised land, Moses sends in 12 spies. And when the spies come back, two of them come back, Joshua and Caleb, they come back and they say, we got this. God is with us, and we can conquer this land. It doesn't matter how big these people are, for our God is greater than their gods. But the other 10, the other 10 are deathly afraid. And the rest of Israel catches their fear and refuses to have the courage to obey. So God sends them into the wilderness, and they wander for 40 years in the wilderness. But God, God brings them back, has Moses lead them again to the edge of the promised land, now for a second time. And just when we think we need him most, Moses dies. But God raises up Joshua. And Joshua leads the people of Israel into this promised land and they conquer this land that God has promised them. And they now inhabit the land that God had promised them. Now back to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua 21, here we are. And despite all of the fear and disobedience on the part of the people of Israel, fear and disobedience over centuries... Despite that fear and disobedience, we read, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Look at the text. The Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. Verse 44, the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Who did all of this? The Lord who kept every one of his promises. It did not matter that they were full of fear. It did not matter that they were sometimes disobedient. Over and over and over again, the Lord kept all of his promises. Every one of them was fulfilled. Why? Why was every one of God's promises fulfilled? Because... God is faithful. God is faithful. Everything that he says he will do, he will do. He is always trustworthy, always loyal, always constant, and always reliable. God does not decide on a whim to be faithful. God does not choose that one day he is going to be faithful and another day he is not going to be faithful. God is always faithful. God is always 100% faithful 100% of the time. You have friends who will disappoint you. You have acquaintances who will let you down. Even those closest people to you cannot meet the standards that you have for them. But God, God is always faithful 100% of the time. And in order for us this morning to understand God's faithfulness, to really live and believe God's faithfulness, we un- have to understand that God is faithful. 
God is true. God is faithful to his name. He's faithful to his character. And he's faithful to his word. God first, God first is faithful to his name. God is jealous for his name. He has a reputation that stands by and for his name. Look at what the psalmist writes about his name. Yet he, God, saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. God saves for his name's sake. He has a reputation and his reputation is described by his name. Now think about Moses. When Moses is given the greatest challenge of his life, an overwhelming challenge to lead the people of Israel out of, the, out of Egypt and into the promised land, out of slavery and into freedom. Moses has no confidence. Moses does not think he can get the job done. He says, who am I? I can't even talk. I need, Lord, I need your confidence. So he goes to God to meet with God, to ask God for confidence. And what does he say to God? He says, tell me your name. And God says, I am who I am. God gives his name as the I am. Do you know it's so interesting? He uses the present tense form of the verb to be as his name. He is the I am. His name demonstrates and reveals who he is. He is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. I am. The present tense form of the verb to be. So think of it this way. To say that God is the great I am means that he is whoever you need him to be whenever you need him to be it or to do it. He is what you need exactly when you need it. It is as if God is saying, I am your strength. I am your courage. I am your health. I am your hope. I am your supply. I am your defender. I am your deliverer. I am your forgiveness. I am your joy. I am your future. He is everything you need him to be exactly when you need him to be it. You see, he is the all-sufficient God who is always true to his name. He is also true to his character. God is true to his character. What is the character of God? There's this beautiful word in the Old Testament that describes, that describes God's character. It's the, it's the word hesed. And we typically translate it, we typically translate it steadfast love. When God describes his character, he talks about having a hesed for you and for me, a a steadfast love. This is what the writer of Deuteronomy says about that love. He says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love, his hesed, his steadfast love, to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. 
The character of God is a character of faithfulness and loving kindness. And there's many verses that link the two together. Faithfulness and loving kindness, this idea of hesed, a steadfast love that he keeps for thousands and thousands and thousands of years to those who love him. And it never changes. The character of God never changes. Look at what Scripture says about this unchanging nature, this unchanging character of God. Malachi says, I, the Lord, do not change. Job testifies he is unchangeable. Who can oppose him? He does what he desires. James says, the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God's character doesn't change. He is a faithful God who demonstrates his chesed to you and to me, a steadfast love that expresses his kindness and his compassion to you and to me. In God's faithfulness, he is true to his name, He is true to his character. And thirdly, he is true to his word. Take your Bible and turn forward to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, it's found on page 602 in the Bible that the church provides. Another aspect of God's faithfulness is that he is true to his word. That is when God says something, he does what he says. When God says something, he does what he says. Isaiah 55, follow along as I read verses 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, whenever God speaks, whatever he speaks happens. He is a never-changing God, and what he says goes because he is faithful. This means that God's word is his bond. He will keep his promises. What he says he will do, he will do. A prophecy he makes, he will keep and he will fulfill. A.W. Pink, in his book, The Attributes of God, puts it this way. Pink says, God never forgets, never fails, never falters, never forfeits his word. To every declaration of promise or prophecy, the Lord has exactly adhered. Every engagement of covenant or threatening, he will make good. For God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God is faithful to his word. What he says he will do, he will do. When we look at Joshua 21, we read the testimony of a God who is faithful. 
A God who is faithful to his name. A God who is faithful to his character. A God who is faithful to his word. A God who gave the Israelites the land that he had promised them. A God who gave the Israelites the rest that he had promised them. The God who gave the Israelites victory over their enemies as he had promised them. The God who kept every one of his promises Every one of God's promises he kept to the people of Israel. And here's the thing. Because God was faithful then, he is also faithful now. Because God was unchanging then, he is unchanging now. God was faithful to the people of Israel. God was faithful to Joshua. And because he was faithful to them, he will be faithful to you and he will be faithful to me. You see, it is just not the people of Israel that God gave promises to. Yes, he promised them land. He promised them rest. He promised them victory over their enemies. But he has also made promises to you and to me. So here's what I want you to know this morning, that if you are sitting here, if you are sitting here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that means that you are sitting here this morning as a child of God. You are God's child. If you declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, that means that you are a child of God. Now, not everyone is a child of God. Some people like to say, well, if you're a human, if you've been born, you're a child of God. That is not true. What is true is that God gave the right to everyone to become a child of God. So if you believe in Jesus, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you declare that he is your Lord, that he rules your life, that he is your Savior, that he forgives your sins, if this is true of you, you are a child of God. And that means that your heavenly father has adopted you into his family and you now are part and parcel of his family, that you now are the beneficiary or the recipient of every one of the promises that he has made to all of his children. And he has made promises to each one of us here who are his children this morning. So what I want you to do is I want you to take that piece of paper that you wrote your fear on And I want you to look at it. I want you to look at the fear. I want you to look at the fears that you wrote down. And if you didn't write anything, think about the fear that you have in your head because I know you have one in your head. And I want you to think about the fear. I want you to look at the fear. And as you look at the fear or you think about the fear that you have, I want you to listen to the promises that God has made to you. Promises that he is faithful, that he is faithful to fulfill. These are the promises that God has made to you. God promised salvation to all who believe in his son. God promised you salvation. This is the greatest gift of all. You were headed towards death. You were headed towards an eternity separated from God, yet he stepped in and grabbed you and called you to himself and provided you with salvation. You were once dead and now you are alive. You were once blind and now you see. Why? Because God gave you salvation. God promises that all things will work out for the good of his children. If you are a child of God, he has promised that all things, all things. I don't know how this works. I have no idea how this works because I have a whole lot of plans in my life that haven't gone the way that I thought they should go. But I look at this and I see that all things work for my good because I love the Lord. 
and in history, and now into the, I have seen that God's plans are better than my plans. They are better. God says through the prophet Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, plans not to hurt you, plans for you to prosper. God has plans for you and all those plans. Even if you don't think so, everything is working out for your good. God promised comfort in our trials. Notice he did not say that we will not have trials. He promised comfort in the trials. He promised comfort in the disappointments. He promised comfort in the discouragements. God promises to comfort you. He promises to hold you throughout the trials. God promised new life in Christ. I said it earlier, you were once dead. You are now alive. You are alive in Christ with new life. The old has gone. The new has come. You are now a new creation because Jesus Christ lives and resides in you. You have new life. God promised every spiritual blessing in Christ. In the Old Testament, he promised physical blessing to the people of Israel. To us, he promises spiritual blessing, and it is much better than physical blessing. It is a blessing from the heavenly realms that you will experience heaven on earth in your life as you follow Jesus. You will receive spiritual blessing. God finished. He promised to finish the work he started in us. I love this one. I love the idea that God has promised to finish the work he has started in me. You know that sin you have. You know that thing in your life that you have that God is working on. He is not going to leave you in that sin. He is not going to leave you in that discouragement. He is not going to leave you in that pain because he is going to finish the work that he has started in you. You can sit still. He's going to still finish the work. God promises peace when we pray. God promises a peace that passes all human understanding when we pray. So if you are not experiencing the peace that passes all understanding, get on your knees and start to pray. Because when you pray, you will experience God's peace. You say, Tom, but I pray. I'm telling you, you don't pray enough. If you pray, you will experience God's peace. Pray. God promised to supply all our needs. Notice it does not say God's promised to supply all our wants. I want a lot of things. God isn't supplying all my wants, but he is supplying all my needs. And he has supplied all your needs as well. Think about the times in your life. Think about the times in your life where you were so discouraged, where you felt that God was not going to show up, that your need, that, your, that something in your life was not going to be met. And what did God do? God showed up. Because he promised to supply for all our needs. God promises through Jesus Christ rest. God promises through Jesus Christ rest. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you are here this morning and you are tired, if you are overburdened, if you are discouraged, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus promised abundant life to those who follow him. He promised you life, not future life, not someday in heaven, but life here, a life full of meaning, a life full of purpose, a life that is not boring, a life that is exciting, a life that is full. Jesus promised that you that. Jesus promised eternal life to those who trust in him. He has not only promised you life here, but he has promised you an eternal life. Someday you are going to die. Someday you are going to pass away and Jesus says, I am going to give you eternal life with me. 
Jesus promised that no one could snatch us out of his hand. There is nothing you have ever done. There is nothing you have will do. There is nothing, nothing that you have ever done that will allow something or someone to snatch you out of Jesus' hand. He has you, and he is holding you, and he will always, always keep you. Jesus promised power from on high. This is the power that came through the Spirit to the disciples, and that same power is available to you, and it is available to me through the Spirit of God. It wasn't just 2,000 years ago. It is today as well. God gave power to the disciples to spread the gospel throughout the land, and a radical change occurred and transformed the surface of the earth. And likewise, God has promised you that same power. You have power from on high. And then finally, Jesus promises that he will return for us. He is not just going to leave us here. If by God's grace we live until he returns, he one day is going to return and he is going to take us to where he is and we will live eternally with him. These are the promises that God has made to you, that your heavenly father has made to you, his adopted child. And just like God was faithful to the Israelites, he kept his promise when he gave them land. He kept his promise when he gave them rest. He kept his promise when he gave them victory over their enemies. Just like he was faithful to them, he will be faithful to you and he will be faithful to me. Why? Because God is faithful. And now you may be saying, Tom, I'm looking at my thing and I don't think any one of those promises covered my fear. That's because I've saved the best promise for last. This is my opinion. I believe this is the best promise that God gives to alleviate or to remedy the fear or fears we have in our lives. And it is found in Isaiah chapter 41. And this is what God says. This is God. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Look at what this text says. It says, do not be afraid. Why? God is with you. God is your God. He will strengthen you. It is he who will help you, and he will uphold you with his righteous right hand. And I love this promise the most because it completes the imagery of God being our heavenly father. And it makes me think of an earthly father who reaches down with his right hand and grabs his child and holds on for dear life when that child is in fear. When the child is experiencing disappointment or discouragement or the fear is overwhelming, an earthly father grabs and holds on to the child and says, it's going to be okay. I got you. I'm holding on to you. How much more? How much more than will our heavenly father reach down with his righteous right hand and grab a hold of you and say, it's okay, I'm with you, I'm your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I am going to hold on to you and there is nothing that you can ever, ever do to get me to let go. Amen, amen. God is holding you because you are his child. God is holding you with his righteous right hand. And because he is faithful, he will never, ever, ever let you go. Amen. 